All right, and we're back with more favorite things. Uh, so this week has been a long one. It's yep. been a hard one. Yep. Uh, you will have noticed that we didn't get an episode out before Saturday again. And uh, if you were waiting for that to get you through your week, uh, we're sorry. And we hope that we are not the brightest thing in your life. If we are, you may want to seek professional help. <laughs> um, if we're not, hey, enjoy that. Enjoy your favorite things. Uh, that's what this podcast is about. And it's important that you do that. Uh, the little things that make life a little bit more uh, enjoyable are very, very important. Yeah. So uh, this week, we do want to pay our respects to uh, Sir Sean Connery, uh, passed away in the early hours of this morning. Today is October 31st, Halloween uh, 2020. And uh, honestly, uh, the way he went is the way I wish we could all go. Uh, 90 years old, uh, in his sleep, uh, 20 years of retirement after a long and storied career. Yeah. we wish uh, the best to his family and friends, and uh, we uh, we will miss the first and most iconic James Bond, uh, even if his version of the character was a pig. Um, so <laughs> we will uh, move on into our intro for this episode. Uh, we are on a bit of a time limit because we're preheating and or we're cooking lunch in the oven, so we're going to take a short lunch break uh, after this intro, but. Um, This week, we're talking about Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, We're going to do things just a little bit differently this week. I didn't record the entire plot, mainly because uh, when I do that, I don't get to enjoy the movie. Um, We'll try to give you a high-level overview of the plot, um, but we will have some notes in there, uh, some uh, things we noticed. Uh, But Betsy... Watching this movie, uh, paying attention as best you could, because you were... I was very distracted, which I get distracted so easy when watching movies. I don't know why. My brain just yeah goes different directions. But I was doing some birthday shopping for you. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah. But it's still a very enjoyable movie. I, to me, it's interesting. As the characters get older, the movies get darker. Yes. And uh, as, it was this- as life does for human beings. I feel like the darker they get, the harder they are for me to follow. Oh, see, but. for me, it's it's the exact opposite. For really? me, the darker they get, the more drawn in I am because their struggles and the plot lines become more intriguing and more relatable. Yeah. Um, because in the first movie, um, the struggles of figuring out how to play wizard's chess and, <laughs> and stuff, it's very whimsical, it's very neat, but ultimately... At best, that's a distraction. Yeah. Where you start getting into the struggles of interpersonal relationships, uh, dealing with being a teenager, uh, dealing with the the struggles of right and wrong, things like that that are going to get more and more important as the movies go along. Those are the things that intrigue me. Yeah. Um, but when they're little kids and their struggles, <laughs> I'm like, oh, kid, just just wait. <laughs> if if this is the biggest thing you've got going on, sit back. You are on easy street. Someone tried to kill me. It's your first time, huh? Uh, no, this... I, I enjoy the first two movies, but this is the first movie that even if... Uh, and we'll get into this in a bit. It's John Williams' last movie where he's scoring it. And even had he not scored this movie... This movie is so good on its own mm-hmm. 
I dare say it would be a great movie regardless of the soundtrack. And I cannot, in my opinion, say that about the first two movies. The first two movies are good. They're enjoyable. They're they're nice little kid caper movies. Yeah. Um, but without John Williams' score to elevate it, I don't believe they move into great territory on their own. This film is so good on its own. I dare say that even if you brought in a Danny Elfman or uh, at the time, trying to think of other contemporaries, James Horner, uh, James Newton Howard, I believe you could have pulled this movie off and it would have been fantastic. Yeah. Um, regardless of who's doing the music. Um, the music adds to this movie. It does not subtract from this movie. And, and I'll talk more about that once we get into our review proper. But... This movie is legitimately well-paced, well-plotted, mm -hmm. um, mostly well-acted. Yeah. Uh, and we'll talk about that when we get in. Uh, but it works. Uh, it's streamlined. They cut out a lot of the fat um, from the books. Some people who are fans of the books may, may be upset about things they left out. Uh, for me, I say that's the reason we have books. Yeah. And then we have movies. Um, Movies are like the cliff notes of the books, right? Uh, effectively. Uh, you will miss some important things from the books. Um, but that's the reason we have books and we have movies. And it's the reason that now more things are going to scripted miniseries. We talked about this last week. Yeah. Um, but when you're able to streamline a story into an hour and a half to max three hours if you have a movie that's longer than three hours it is no longer a movie yeah. um it's it's something else um when you're able to streamline that story into two to three hours max uh even as as little as 70 minutes an hour and 10 minutes is is the bare minimum for a feature film uh when you're able to do that you are immensely skilled um it's very difficult there there is a reason that a large majority of movies that come out are not good um and are are bad it, and the reason is is not because the person in it is a bad actor though they might be um the reason isn't that you have a bad director though they might yeah. be a lot of times it's because you are trying to tell a massive story, but you have so much time, so much money, and to be able to, for this movie, to tell a, I wanna say it was around a six or 700 page book, to be able to tell that story, the, the bones and marrow and muscle of that story, and get it across and it not just be decent, but be good and even move into greatness, that is, that is a home run with bases loaded in the seventh game of the World Series. This is, it's not the norm for them to be able to pull this off in a kid's movie yeah. is a colossal achievement. And we will talk about that and more as we get into this week's episode about Harry Potter and Prisoner of Azkaban. All right, and we're back with Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, 
alternate title, uh, Harry Potter, The Awkward Teenage Years. Uh, so this movie starts uh, the way most teenage boys remember their teenage years, uh, under the sheets, uh, playing with his wand. And uh, <laughs> Sorry, that's funny. Uh, anyhow, uh, so Harry is trying to practice spells at home, and it's, uh, I'll be honest, if high school education, middle school education, was cool things like magic, uh, maybe kids would want to do their homework <laughs> yeah. and would want to learn, you know, the skills of high school. But instead, we keep it, you know, as boring and theoretical as we can. Yeah. I digress. Uh, we start this movie, uh, the final uh, Harry Potter film, uh, to utilize John Williams as composer, uh, and he just does a masterful job in this movie. Uh, fortunately, the filmmaking has caught up to his skills. Uh, we'll talk about that more as the movie progresses, but uh, Harry spends the evening uh, practicing Lumos under the sheets. Um, Again, uh, not so subtle joke about puberty. Um, <laughs> the next day, Harry uh, honestly seems to be in a better living arrangement with his family. It's much less abusive. Um, but uh, Aunt Marge is coming over to uh, visit. And Aunt Marge is already a wonderfully rotund, angry woman. <laughs> Uh, and if Harry Potter has taught us anything, it is if you are a large person, you are an angry person. Uh, as a large person, I can tell you that's true. Uh, <laughs> and uh, right off the bat, uh, this movie has a creepy, creepy vibe. Uh, the whole movie is desaturated. Um, a lot of muted colors, a lot of grays. Yeah. The very uh, first movie and the second film, uh, they would have dark moments, but the reds, the greens, the yellows were very bright, very vibrant. In this movie, even, even the most vibrant of color is muted to where it feels, everything feels like it's taking place on the grayest of gray days. We yeah. just, we just came off of almost a week of rain and gray clouds. And honestly, it was very depressing. Yeah. Uh, the film, uh, the feel of this film is that everything is under a cloud. Everything is very oppressive. And when Aunt Marge comes, uh, we get to feel that as Harry is dealing with this woman, who is, she makes the Dursley seem reasonable and kind. Yes. Uh, she she has her wonderful little English bulldog with her. <laughs> and uh, she just goes off on a rant, just like every relative you've got who has their political political opinion. You know the one I'm talking about. You've talked to him recently. Um, and she's at the dinner table and she's just being awful. And she she goes through talking about uh, Harry's parents while Harry is right there. Uh, Harry promised to behave himself. Uh, in the meantime, this woman is just talking all sides all sorts of crap about Harry's mom saying it's not the father that's the problem I've seen this with the dogs it's a problem with the bitch <laughs> and just lays in and Harry in true psychopath for, uh, 
fashion. As I mentioned before, I do believe that Harry is one bad day away from killing everyone and wearing their skin. Um, <laughs> explodes her glass and then just blows her up. Makes her turn into a giant Macy's Blim. Day parade yeah. uh, float and just she floats away. Uh, then he runs away uh, like anyone does. And again, Uncle Vernon chasing after him and Harry honestly is kind of a jerk. Um, it's understandable. And this time Harry actually stood up for himself in a way like because he's like, even though he used his magic to do it. Yeah, he did. He's but like, at this, I'm leaving and you're not stopping me. <laughs> yeah. At the same time, Uncle Vernon is doing his best to control the situation and this child who is probably one day going to murder someone. <laughs> uh, but he... Uh, I feel conflicted as an adult watching these movies because um, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia are jerks. Uh, Dudley's just an absolute garbage pile. But, man, Harry is Harry is one bad day away from, from becoming the Joker. Yeah. Um, so Harry runs away, and he does what any teenager does when they run away from home. He sits on a playground uh, where he sees the world's biggest black dog. Um, and again, the oppressive nature of this film, uh, if you're having a, a bad or down day, it's probably not going to help that. Um, so before the giant terror dog can attack Harry, uh, the night bus shows up. Now, the night bus is a triple-decker bus uh, run by wizards, a tiny shrunken head, <laughs> and uh, all sorts of other fun stuff that, uh, if you were me in high school, you might actually think exists in London. Uh, and knowing my luck, it probably does. <laughs> um, but my note at this point is I want to ride on a triple decker bed bus, uh, just a bus you can sleep on and ride around London. And I like how the beds like swing back and forth with the bus. They're not like strapped down. Or oh, anything. they're not bolted down. They're, they're not just bolted down. So it was like, like they're crashing into each other. It was like a bunch of triple decker bunk beds were taken onto this giant bus <laughs> and just left there. It was like. Oh, it took us forever to load these things in. Do we want to offload them at the orphanage? Or the orphans? If we sneak off quietly, the driver will never know. <laughs> and they just stay there. And they're there to this day. Yeah. <laughs> um, so at this point in the movie, uh, we get uh, introduced to the fact that Sirius Black has escaped from Azkaban Prison, uh, played by Gary Oldman. And he is on the cover of every poster, newspaper, and everything and uh, if we didn't mention it before in this, uh, whenever there's a picture in the wizarding world, uh, the pictures move. Uh, they are always in motion. They are always acting, reacting. The beings in the posters or pictures. Kind of like those boomerang, is it boomerang things they have now through in social media? Uh, kind of. Uh, but the idea behind this is that... Uh, the beings in the picture are basically little versions of us and they yeah. actually run to and from the right. the picture and they may not stay in this picture they may run yeah. over to that picture and, and it's on paper it's not on a tablet or a yes. computer it's actually on paper and they're moving and uh but Gary Oldman gives a fantastic and frightening performance as Sirius Black in all of these pictures and posters um and once Harry gets to uh, Nocturne Alley, uh, 
or Diagon Alley. I was like, what's Nocturne Alley? <laughs> uh, Nocturne Alley is the alley right next to Diagon Alley. Okay. Uh, it's the one he was accidentally sent to in Harry Potter 2. Oh, when he said diagonally yes. instead? Okay. Um, uh, the Leaky Cauldron. That's the name of the yeah. of the pub house that he's staying in. Uh, but uh, at this point in the movie, I noted that the production design is remarkably medieval, uh, even in uh, Diagon Alley. Everything looks like it stepped right out of uh, a picture from King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. Uh, and it it's like architecture and uh, basic design, clothing, uh, hygiene habits uh, just never changed from that day forward. Uh, it's the same as right now, a, a lot of the clothing and hairstyles are going back to the 90s. Yeah. Um, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, clothing styles were the 70s. And yeah. it's everything cyclical and, and we're, we're stuck on a crazy train. Someone needs to help us off. But in this movie, it's, it's like none of that moved out of uh, 13th century Europe. And so everything in this movie feels like it's a modern day film, but all the production design feels like it came out of, a, of yeah. that era. I mean, even Hogwarts, when you look at the way the classrooms are set up and everything, it's very... They never modernized yeah, the castle. Yeah, very, very old and... They were like, well, it was good enough for our great, 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 grandfather. It's good enough for me. Yeah. And, uh... After all those generations of inbreeding, you think they would have figured out a different way to do things. <laughs> um, so uh, my next note is whoever thought making a monster uh, textbook out of an actual monster was a good idea. Uh, they have a problem. Uh, so <laughs> Harry has this monster textbook that gets play for all of 30 seconds of the movie. Uh, but this thing is terrifying. It's got the eyes of a spider. It's got the mouth of a great white shark. It's awful. Um, at this point in the movie, uh, the Weasleys and Hermione show up at, uh, the Leaky Cauldron. Uh, Harry gets a pass from the Minister of Magic. Uh, and as Mr. Weasley, uh, as a, as a representative of the Ministry of Magic talks to Harry, every shot has a screaming poster of Sirius Black yeah. uh, in the frame, dominating the frame. Uh, I noted that the posters are almost oppressive in this movie, just because you always see the screaming face right beside our characters. And so there's always this sense of danger in the scene. Yeah. Um, so the students the next day uh, head off, uh, not before we hear that uh, Hermione's cat Crookshanks keeps trying to uh, eat uh, Ron's rat uh, scabbers. Uh, which at first seems like, oh, it's kind of a dumb plot point, but it becomes important later. <laughs> uh, so we get on the Hogwarts Ex Express and it's a rainy day. It's just pouring rain. And then all of a sudden the train stops and we see the most horrendous evil CGI creation. I think think that's been done on a non R-rated horror film uh, <laughs> arrive and it's the Dementors and they have these long spindly fingers with claws. They've got no face. Yeah. Uh, it's just a shroud and a body and these Very things creepy. show up. It is so creepy. 
but the effect is fantastic. Yeah. It holds up even today. And uh, as these things come close, they it looks like they're sucking the breath off of Harry. Harry passes out. We hear a scream in the train whistle. Uh, Harry wakes up and uh, the gentleman who was asleep in the car with them when they first got in is revealed to be Professor Remus Lupin. Uh, if that name sounds uh, peculiar, it's because it's a plot uh, giveaway. Uh, but as Professor Lupin leaves, Ron describes the feeling of the Dementors coming into the car as it felt weird, though. I felt like I'd never be cheerful again. And as as a viewer, even as someone who's watched this film before, just a shudder goes through you at mm -hmm. the thought of most people by the time they hit their late teens early 20s uh, into adulthood you have had a moment or moments uh where nothing seemed like it would ever be right or good again um even if it was just momentary and for this character to describe that you connect with it as a viewer to that feeling yeah. and so that feeling of oh just a personification <laughs> of that feeling uh yeah. is terrible uh, so we get to Hogwarts. Uh, everyone uh, decides not to take the boats, which is a good idea because it's pouring rain. Uh, and we get inside and we meet our new Dumbledore, played perfectly by Michael Gambon. Uh, Richard Harris passed away just days before the premiere of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Um, the rumor I've heard is that he actually requested that they not recast the part. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, that... Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, don't get me wrong. Love Richard Harris. Fantastic performer. He's not that good. Yeah, I uh, think that, oh, when I die, I don't want anybody else to play this part. This integral part of yeah. the story series. Yeah. Um, but uh, Michael Gambon brings a danger and a uh, mischievousness to Dumbledore that I really appreciate and will show itself throughout this movie and upcoming movies. Um, but we get a series of introductions at this point. For one thing, Hagrid is now a professor. Um, after the last professor apparently lost a limb. Um, <laughs> Uh, I note at this point in the movie that the interactions feel more natural uh, just between everybody, especially the kids. Hogwarts feels bigger. Uh, it feels more real and lived in. Uh, as we get to the first week of classes, we're introduced to Emma Thompson as Madame Trelawney, uh, the world's worst psychic and fortune teller. Um, <laughs> and honestly, if things go bad for her at Hogwarts, uh, in the muggle world, she'll make quite a living because yeah. people love horoscopes. Um, <laughs> I noted at this point in the movie that this is a really, really great Halloween movie. Uh, yeah. and I stand by that. Um, just again, the feel, uh, everything's medieval. Everything is dark, kind of, uh, washed out in most of the scenes. Uh, we go to, uh, Hagrid's first class as professor and we meet, we meet Buckbeak, a hippogriff. Uh, and if you're not sure what that is, it's just a griffin. <laughs> it's just a griffin. Uh, if you don't know what that is, Wikipedia. Uh, you're listening to me on a device. I assume it has the internet. Wikipedia. Um, and uh, I noted right now that uh, this is a film from 2004. The special effects, especially on Buckbeak, stand up. Mm -hmm. Even now, on a on a 55-inch uh, 4K TV, the the visual effects for Buckbeak 
work perfectly. Yes. And the reason is he is on screen exactly as long as he needs to be. He, the rest of the shots, you only see a portion of them. Uh, today, one of the mistakes that a lot of filmmakers will use with CGI is that they will keep the characters in frame the whole time. And the problem is, the more the camera focuses on those creations, the more typically they will break down in the viewer's estimation. Yeah. Because there is a detachment from reality, especially if the scene is not shot well. One of the things that makes this hold up uh, as far as visual effects is the scene is shot well. Buckbeak seems like he belongs in the scene. Right. He doesn't seem out of place. Everything from where Hagrid stands to where the students stand to how Buckbeak moves to how the scene is lit to how uh, Buckbeak moves with Harry alone whenever they take off on their flight. Everything works just right. Any wrong thing, lighting bad. Uh, kids are too close. Kids are too far away. Hagrid's too close. Hagrid's too far away. The scene breaks down. Yeah. This is a masterclass in how CGI needs to be used in a movie. Uh, but Harry goes over and uh, he actually gets to ride Buckbeak, uh, but not before uh, uh, Malfoy makes fun of everybody. And when Harry gets back after successfully riding the really cool Buckbeak, uh, he decides, oh, I'm going to do that. And then gets uh, clawed by the wild beast because it's a wild beast. And he didn't follow the directions Hagrid put in front of him. Yes. And Hagrid before, during and after gives ton of instruction, ton of follow up takes care of his students. And I noted at this point in the movie, Hagrid is the first professor to actually give a damn about student safety. <laughs> no other professor to this point in the Harry Potter franchise has actually given good instruction on the front end, good in, uh, instruction during the middle, and then follow up of, hey, are you all right? You okay? We're going to take care of you. It's going to be all right. Yeah. No, they're always condescending. They're always smug when a kid makes a mistake. It's like, you should have known better. You're at school. Yeah, this, they're here to learn this, and you're not teaching them. You're just telling them to do it without here's, giving instructions. Here's a loaded gun. The good ones survive. I hope you're a good one. And then walk away. <laughs> yeah. That's bad. Anyhow. Uh, I, I noted that Buckbeak's flight is just magical. Uh, it's a fantastic scene. John Williams' score. It, it actually, if you listen to the song itself, it makes you feel like you're flying. Mm -hmm. And so that song matched with the scenery again, perfect. Um, so we get over to Professor Lupin and he is the first professor to actually teach something that's useful uh, that we actually see on film mm -hmm. uh, where it's not, hey, use use a feather, make it fly because that's going to come in handy. <laughs> no, uh, Professor Lupin actually comes in and he's like, hey, at some point, you may come face to face with this creature, a boggart. Whenever you see these things, they take the form of your worst fear. The way to fight your fear is to make it something you're not afraid of. And so he teaches kids two lessons simultaneously. One, how to take care of this mythical creature. But two, yeah. how to face your fear. And how to face your fear is you need to understand how silly the thing you fear is. And he's yeah. straight up is teaching multiple lessons. He's a great professor. Uh, and uh, I said props to the psycho girl who, when she sees a cobra that honestly is kind of a cuddly looking cobra, she turns it into <laughs> the most horrific looking clown jack in the box I've ever seen. 
I've seen it, the 1990, uh, the 1990 television film and the uh, 2017 uh, first part of uh, it. They are not as terrifying as this clown Jack in the Box <laughs> that has really tiny pupils and an expression. And as it bounces towards you, it's like, ah, ah. <laughs> and if I scared you through your earbuds, I'm sorry. Um, but, uh, so at this point, uh, Lupin takes Harry under his wing and I noted at this point in the film that I wish I was secure enough in my manhood to wear a cape around like Lupin. (laughs) Um, so I note at this point in the film, uh, there is an attack in the castle. Uh, Sirius Black comes in, uh, and rips up one of the paintings. They actually find the lady from the painting a few uh, steps over covered in mud, yelling, it was that man, Sirius Black. Uh, So all the kids are in lockdown with the professors looking over them. And I noted if an adult is talking and kids shouldn't be listening, exposition is occurring in this film. Uh, So the kids, uh, (laughs) we get our uh, obligatory Quidditch match in this Uh, movie and uh, if Hagrid cared about children's safety and Lupin was a cool teacher that actually taught good lessons then whoever is the official over Quidditch for this movie needs to be fired because (laughs) kids are getting nuked left and right Uh by lightning and the game just keeps going and so there's lightning strikes the Dementors come in and attack and uh, kids literally the other seeker gets struck by lightning and then falls presumably to his death Mm -hmm. um, before Harry gets chased. And when he falls, Dumbledore catches him. Uh, (laughs) So Harry wakes up in the hospital. And I noted at this point, a Hufflepuff is straight up dying in a hospital bed in the background alone with the nurse. In the meantime, Harry has all his friends around and they're like, Oh, it's, it's a tragedy. I, I, making fun of the scene I said it's sad that kid died but the real tragedy is the loss of your broom Harry yeah never mind you have a a vault full of gold at Gringotts but that kid over there he was here on athletic scholarship maybe he survives but he'll never be able to walk again or chew food (laughs) uh I noted at uh this next point, uh, Harry is uh, not allowed to go on the field trip because he blew up his aunt. He never got his field trip form signed. So because he didn't get his field trip form signed, he is not allowed to go on the field trip. And I have to note at this point that Harry is a moron. Uh, Dumbledore, McGonagall, nobody knows what his aunt and uncle's signature looks like. He (laughs) could have faked it. Yeah, that's why I was saying, like, why didn't he just, like, he could have used magic and just signed it. Or just... Or just faked it. Faked it. He's 13 years old. This isn't a five-year-old. This is a 13-year-old kid. And he could have faked the signature. Uh, But even then, once he's like, oh, I'll sneak around using my invisibility cloak. He literally walks to the point with the most snow, where his footprints are going to show up, obviously. So, he... (laughs) He can't go on this field trip because that seems pretty innocent because he doesn't have a signature, but there's no problem with him playing Quidditch where he could die at any moment. Yeah. He didn't have to get a signature for that. No. <laughs> no, I'm telling you, it's yeah. it's high school and college athletics. It's like 
Well, uh, you've got COVID, but we really need a QB this game. <laughs> oh, you broke your arm? Uh, can you play with a splint? Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. It's, yeah, it's bad. Um, but what's really interesting is that uh, Fred and George see the see the stomping around the snow and they're like, okay, we got to help this kid out. He's just pathetic. <laughs> and so they go over and they give him the Marauders map. Uh, for those of you not familiar with this film who haven't watched it, and I would say why, uh, then uh, the Marauders map is a map of Hogwarts and the surrounding grounds that tells you where absolutely anyone is. Uh, and this is very handy for sneaking around so that you're never surprised. Yeah. So Harry sneaks down uh, to Hogsmeade, and as he's sneaking around, he sees the professor uh, McGonagall is going to meet with uh, uh, Cornelius Fudge, the Minister of Magic, uh, and the lady who heads up the pub there. And uh, apparently, uh, they decide to have an exposition meeting. Uh, <laughs> something they decide to discuss everything that adults in this world should already know. But because the audience hasn't been made aware of them, they need to dump for us and Harry. Yeah. So we find out at this point in the movie that not only uh, is Sirius wanted for helping Voldemort with killing his parents, uh, they, Sirius is wanted for the murder of one Peter Pettigrew, uh, having destroyed all of him but a finger. Uh, we also learn at this point because poor, poor, poor Professor McGonagall has to give the line of exposition that is supposed to be a shocker and unfortunately it's very awkwardly delivered and that is not only did he do this but he was dun -dun -dun, Harry's godfather <laughs> and what should have been the to be continued moment of the movie wasn't because it's a movie but it will be for us because we're running out of time on this particular spot in the recording and we'll see you in just a moment with the rest. back and after hearing the soap opera worthy line from McGonagall Harry storms out like a good teenage boy does crying and whimpering under a blanket and uh, <laughs> he runs away and when Ron and Hermione find him and pull him out from under the blanket we get uh, the worst performance of this movie probably uh, yeah. from Daniel Radcliffe and uh, he uh, he yells a lot um, Attempting to do sad angry, I think, is the emotion he's going for. Yeah. Uh, or sangry. Um, but he... Didn't quite get there. Well, uh, what we get is we get, I'm yelling at you. Yeah. I'm yelling. Um, and... He was their friend! He was their friend! <laughs> and it's not great. Uh, the question I have for the director and for Daniel was... Okay, was that the best take you guys did, or yeah. were you running out of light? What what happened there? What? Because this stands out in this movie because everything around it is so good. When you get the moments that aren't, like the exposition dump with Professor McGonagall or yeah. with Harriet, it stands out. It's the it's the thing that doesn't fit. Yeah. And when the bad things don't fit, that tells you you're dealing with something good. Yeah. Um. When, you, when the bad things fit right in, 
you are not. Yeah. Uh, so we overlooked that bad acting because Harry's in good company in this movie uh, because Professor McGonagall had done it right before this. Um, but at this point in the movie, it is Christmas break. Harry is going to stick around because, of course, Hogwarts is much cooler than hanging out with your aunt and uncle who are still yeah. upset that you blew up your aunt. Yeah. As most parents would be, but not all. Um <laughs> So Lupin agrees to teach Harry how to defend himself against the Dementors because, man, they keep coming after him. Um, and at this point in the movie, we get introduced to the Patronus charm. Uh, the Patron ugh, Patronus charm uh, is a it is an incantation that brings forth light to combat uh darkness uh, a lot of times it will take on the personification of an animal and on the uh wizarding world of harry potter website you can find out what yours is uh and betsy what was yours i'm a fox yeah you are <laughs> uh and i am a sparrow hawk so uh just another fun little inside uh the wizarding world of harry potter thing that you can do on their website we're not sponsored by them, but uh, I would in encourage you to go over and check that out and have fun if you want, if you're wanting to do more in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, at least until uh, Legacy of Hogwarts comes out on video game systems next year. Uh, so, moving on. Uh, Harry initially tries to do the Patronus charm on the Boggart and is unable to defend himself. Uh, Lupin just keeps handing out chocolate and diabetes. Um <laughs> Because every time Harry passes out, he, here, have some chocolate. And Harry's like, well, I can't feel my feet, but sure, why not? <laughs> um, but uh, Lupin teaches him that in order to utilize this charm properly, you have to pull on something that is absolutely joyful, something deep, something powerful. And he asks Harry what he chose as his happy memory and he's like well the first time i rode in a broom and lupin's like man that's dumb you need something better than that <laughs> he's a little gentler than that uh but he goes well i've got some i don't even know if it's real but let me try it out and harry successfully does the patronus charm when lupin asks him what it was he goes i remember my mom and he goes i don't know if it's real because i was an infant when they died but I remember my mom and my dad being there. Mm -hmm. And at this point in the movie, I tear up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and we move on. Uh, so at this point in the movie, Harry is staying up late at night, just checking out what's going on in the castle on the Marauders map. Uh, Ron wakes up and starts screaming about spiders wanting him to tap dance. <laughs> and, uh, and, Ron goes, the spiders, they wanted me to tap dance, and I told him no. And Harry goes, will you tell those spiders, Ron? He goes, I will, and falls back to sleep. Harry looks down at the Marauder's map and sees a name that shouldn't be there. Yeah. Peter Pettigrew is walking through the castle. Harry knows, hey, this is kind of weird since this guy's dead and all that's left of his finger. I better go check this out. So he goes wandering through the castle. I noted. I noted at this point in the movie that the Marauder's map is a great MacGuffin, uh, the same as the idol from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark or uh, pretty much anything J.J. Abrams does with a red object in the film. Watch any of his movies. It's there. <laughs> um, I also noted that Lupin's scars are perfect because 
Harry is found wandering the halls, uh, unable to locate Peter Pettigrew, even though on the map, Peter Pettigrew walks right past him. Uh, Snape discovers Harry. Harry covers up the map, says mischief managed, and all the map disappears. Snape grabs up the map and says, reveal your secrets. Asks Harry to read it. And the map says, uh, the map hereby says that, uh, Professor Snape should keep his abnormally large nose out of everyone else's business. <laughs> and Snape gets really upset, even though you can visibly see it on the map. Uh, Professor Lupin comes out of nowhere to, to say what's what. Excuse me. And uh, he's able to get Harry out of the situation. But he goes and gives a stern lecture to Harry, letting him know that, hey, this map... Uh, it doesn't just show you where everyone else is. If they get it, it shows them where you are. Mm-hmm. They know exactly where you are. They don't have to. They don't have to take the direct route. They could come whenever they want, wherever they want. Yeah. And so Professor Lupin takes away the map, uh, and Harry's like, "Hey, just so you know, I don't think the map works. I saw Peter Pettigrew on there, and uh, yeah, he's dead." And Lupin's like, um, that's not possible. Yeah. Everyone shrugs. Harry leaves. The next day at class, Professor Trelawney bullies Hermione, uh, who shows up out of nowhere, as she has been throughout this movie. She'll just pop in from nowhere. Uh, I noted at this point in the movie that people with Coke bottle glasses are terrifying uh, (laughs) because Professor Trelawney, uh, when Harry comes back to check, on something, grabs Harry's wrist and gives a startling prophecy about the Dark One returning and innocent blood being spilled. And uh, it is, it is scary. And I think Emma Emma Thompson Emma Thompson was perfect for that role. Oh, she's great and, as Trelawney. Yeah, that was like, yeah, I love her in that role. So we find out next from Hagrid that Buckbeak has been determined to be put to death because Malfoy is a little, uh, it rhymes with snitch. So we'll say snitch. (laughs) Um, Malfoy is a little, little pathetic snitch. Um, But we get to Hagrid's the next day. The kids are sitting with him to kind of comfort him. when all of a sudden something flies through the window, hits Harry in the back of the head, and we see Cornelius Fudge, the executioner, and Dumbledore coming up. And I noted at this point that Buckbeak's executioner has a comically large axe. Like, it's three (laughs) times the size of his body. Like, we're talking video game weapon ridiculous. Um, But the kids run away. Uh, As they get around the corner, they see... The men come out of the shack. They see the executioner's axe come up, fall down, and crows fly away mm-hmm. as the axe lands with a sickening thud. Yeah. And everyone's crying. It's all sad. Uh, but at this point in the movie, as they're walking away, the giant terrifying horror dog from earlier in the movie grabs Ron and takes him into the uh, Whomping Willow's base. Uh, after a little adventure trying to fight off this giant killer tree, Harry and Hermione end up inside. Come to find out, the Whomping Willow is the, uh, has tunnels underneath it that lead over to the Shrieking Shack, the Shrieking Shack, uh, the most haunted house in all of 
London. Uh, and we find out that uh, inside the dog wasn't just a dog. It is serious. He is apparently an animagus. And what that means is able to turn into an animal. And so at this point in the movie, I noted that the Shrieking Shack is a rust Russian nesting doll of plot twists. <laughs> because first, the dog is not a dog. It's an animagus. And that animagus is serious. Bam! One. Next. Uh, Harry gets the drop on serious. Bam! Plot twist two. Then Lupin comes in. Disarms Harry. Bam! Best friends with Sirius. Bam! Snape comes in, disarms the two of them. Bam! Then Harry disarms Snape. Bam! <laughs> then we find out that uh, Peter Pettigrew is actually Ron's rat scabbers. Bam! We are what, at what? six plot twists at this point in the course of about three minutes. Yeah. Uh, and it all goes downhill from there. Uh, but I'll give you the gist. The gist is that they have determined who the actual person was who committed the crime, who assisted Voldemort in killing the Potters. They had their man in Peter Pettigrew, and everything seems like it's going to be all right at this point. It's going to be okay. We actually have the guilty party, and guess what? Harry's godfather isn't a murderer. He's actually a pretty decent guy who just got a raw end of the deal. Yeah. And so as they're leaving, there is a wonderful scene between Gary Oldman and Daniel Radcliffe. Um, and where the scene earlier with Daniel Radcliffe was awful from an acting standpoint, this scene connects uh, between these two actors who apparently had a really good rapport in real life. Um, but this scene where uh, Sirius is like, hey, I know you've got you, you know, your actual family, your aunt and uncle, and you'd probably rather live with them. But, hey, if you consider it, once all this is straightened out, I'd love it if you'd come stay with me. Mm -hmm. And it's this moment where Harry now has the potential for a mentor, a father figure, yeah. someone who actually cares about him, loves him, right. has fought for his family, understands him as a wizard. And it's, I call this scene tragically hopeful because everything is set up, everything's going to be okay. And in a split second, all of that hope that you just gained is snatched away. Right. Because over the horizon, a full moon is uncovered by the clouds. And we learned that Remus Lupin is a werewolf. He attacks his friends. Peter Pettigrew gets away. Uh, Harry and Sirius, uh, as they stumble into the woods, are almost killed by Dementors until a mysterious figure uses a Patronus charm and Harry passes out. He wakes up in the hospital and all is doomed. The We learned that Sirius is to be executed by the uh, Dementors that night. We learned that uh, Buckbeak is already dead. We learned that just every Pettigrew got away. All hope is lost. Dumbledore comes in and says, hey, um, yeah, this is really bad. But, uh, hey, if the right things happen in the right way, then everything should be fine. Mm -hmm. uh, just make sure you do it right. Looks over, Hermione winks and walks out the door. Hermione jumps up, says, all right, Harry, come over here. Ron, I'm sorry, but you're useless. But we knew that. Stay in bed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they put, Hermione has something called a time turner. And at this point in the movie, we get a time heist. 
a full 15 years before Avengers Endgame, we get a time <laughs> heist where everything is going to be set right. And Harry and Hermione go back three hours. And a small little nitpick I have here. Uh, it is 7.30 p.m. It's still daylight out in the spring. And there are ripe pumpkins everywhere. Huge ripe pumpkins. Huge ripe pumpkins. Not rotted, not messed up. Huge ripe pumpkins. I digress. Uh, <laughs> at this point in the movie, they start going behind Back to the Future 2 style, setting everything right. They free Buckbeak. We come to find out that what we saw earlier was the Huntsman bring down his axe, but it was out of frustration, not execution. <laughs> he was slamming it down on a pumpkin because he wasn't able to kill something because he is a former Harry Potter and still a psychopath. <laughs> uh, so they go and they hide for a bit, watch the Whomping Willow. They see everything go down. As they see everything go down, uh, they go and decide to rescue themselves. They're able to call away Professor Lupin when he's about to make a killing strike. They go over to watch what happened with uh, with Harry and Sirius because Harry could have sworn that the person who sent the Patronus charm looked just like his dad. Only to find out in the moment when he is watching the life get sucked out of him and Sirius, it was him. And he casts the Patronus charm that comes out as a stag. And we get this magical moment where everything is set right. They fly Buckbeak to the castle, set Sirius free, and walk right into the hospital just in time to see themselves disapparate back into time. Uh, Ron looks at him dumbfounded, and Harry, Hermione, don't even try to explain it. He'd never get it. He's an <laughs> absolute moron. Um but at this point in the movie, I noted that I really want a Sirius and Buckbeak movie, just their adventures riding around together. Because uh -huh. uh, Sirius takes Buckbeak and flies away. Um, we go over to Professor Lupin's office where he has resigned because it has been exposed, his medical condition. And apparently it's frowned on in the wizarding world because they're all racists. Um, and as he's packing up, I noted that I want the ability to magically pack. <laughs> Literally just tap with your wand and everything goes into your suitcases and fits uh -huh. perfectly. Um, and at the end of the movie, Harry gets a mysterious package. And we can be pretty certain it came from Harry's uncle, uh, Godfather. Yeah. Um, and it's a brand new firebolt, the fastest broom in the world. And Harry flies away, jetted away as we go to credits and we get the I solemnly swear I'm up to no good unlocking code for the Marauders map and the whole credits from beginning to end are in the style of the Marauders map. Uh, there's some neat little Easter eggs you can see in there, characters from the book, uh, including uh, Newt Scamander from the Fantastic Beast movies. Um, there's apparently a couple that is uh, in intimate contact. Uh, <laughs> I missed that. Yeah, you have to look for it, but it's there. Um, it's just footprints, but you know what's going on. Yeah. Um, but, again, uh, the whole end credits, uh, if you look up the Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban soundtrack, is a track called uh, Mischief Managed. And it is a suite of all of the themes that John Williams has done over the past three films, including this one. And it is absolutely perfect it is the perfect mix of music over the map with the end credits 
magnificent, magnificent ending to this film. Leaves a great feeling. Just perfect. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to be sad that uh, John Williams won't be composing any of the rest of the scores for this uh, film franchise. Uh, but what a way to go. He goes out on top. It's just right. It's it's everything I wanted it to be. This is hands down the best so far of any of the Harry Potter films. Yeah. Great Halloween film. Uh, if you're listening to this on October 31st and you're trying to figure out what to watch tonight, pop watch this in. <laughs> it is a great watch. It's just over two hours. It is an enjoyable watch. Uh, most anyone over the age of 10 uh, or 11 should be able to enjoy this. Uh, younger than that, uh, it might be a little intense. Yeah. Um, but highly, highly recommend this to anyone. Uh, great addition to the franchise. Great film in its own right. I fell in love with this my freshman year in uh, college uh, just because it played nonstop on the Campus Movie Network. <laughs> um, and just great movie. Great, 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 great movie. Yeah. It was very enjoyable for what I paid attention to. <laughs> I mean, I've seen it before, so it's one I, I like it, but it's been a while, so there's a lot of things that I forgot, but... It's okay. I didn't mean to not pay attention, but I got... I just got so distracted because I was determined to finish your birthday shopping. I'll, I'll be honest. <laughs> it's been a week, and more than that, it's been a month. Yeah. It's been a it year. <laughs> yeah. That's the understatement. But, so. Yeah. Guys, next week we will be on film four, uh, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Uh, that is our halfway point for the series. Uh, if you have any requests about things that we cover going forward, especially going into the holiday season, uh, please let us know. If there's anything you would like us to cover, uh, send us your requests. If you haven't rated us on your podcast service of choice, please give us five stars. Uh, or a thumbs up, whatever the highest rating there is. Uh, if you want to give lower than that, uh, please uh, do it to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. <laughs> Which is one of your favorite things it, to listen to. Right it now. is, but they can take a low review. Uh, <laughs> guys, I hope you have a great week. Have a happy Halloween. Uh, have a happy and safe election. Uh, we will see you around next week at some point for Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Bye.